Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with not just another fitness podcast for fitness geeks only. And this week, I'm talking about that protein or protein, depending upon how you want to pronounce it. Again, if you're into fitness, this is probably a topic I'm sure you have heard a lot before. And what I wanted to do this week is today, just give you a very brief primer on why protein is useful. And there's good reason why people talk about it. And then each day we're going to talk about one particular myth about protein. Uh, my buddy Lou Schuler, I think, coined the term zombie myths. That for whatever reason, these myths just don't really seem to die. Although it has gotten better over the years, I will say. But there are a lot of myths about protein. So we're going to kind of go into each one of five myths uh, over the course of each day. And today, the myth we're going to talk about is <clears throat> you can only use 30 grams of protein per meal. But before that, we're just going to give you a very short primer on protein. <clears throat> so why do we focus on protein? Uh, protein is muscle. Muscle is protein. Again, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but the stored form in the body of amino acids, which are the building blocks of a protein, is muscle, right? So if you look at fat, obviously we've got different places we can store fat. Carbohydrates are going to be stored as glycogen in the liver and in the muscle, and a little bit of blood glucose at any one point, like literally only about a teaspoon of blood glucose, five grams. Uh, but the stored form in the body is actually muscle tissue. And the body in general doesn't want to keep a lot of muscle tissue around because it, compared to other tissues, is very metabolically expensive. Which is why you go to the gym and lift weights, put your body under overload to increase the amount of muscle and strength. And at a bare minimum, just give it a reason to hold on to that tissue. Right? Because if we take you and we chuck you into outer space and maybe want to hang out at the International Space Station... We put you into zero gravity or microgravity, the amount of muscle <coughs> that you will lose or atrophy is going to happen at an accelerated rate, assuming you don't do any countermeasures. So astronauts right now spend a fair amount of time each day just doing countermeasures to hold on to cardiovascular properties and to hold on to a lot of muscle. And especially something we don't think about a lot is bone. Right, Because even just standing up without the act of exercise, we are constantly working against gravity. Uh, so protein can also affect metabolic rate. <clears throat> it's not as much of a factor as to what most people kind of ascribe to it. But especially if you're aging, we do know that the amount of muscle tissue you have is going to go down. Or if you do some crazy diet where you dramatically slash calories and your protein is really low and you're not doing any lifting or resistance training, we know that you can lose <clears throat> muscle tissue and then that does affect your metabolic rate in the long term. We do need the protein for function for survival, 
right? So by this point, you're probably familiar with my bias towards a survival-based lens. And there are things called essential amino acids. They are essential because your body cannot make them itself. It needs to get them from an outside source. So real simply, if we want to add more protein or amino acids in the form of muscle tissue, so we're taking a very muscle-centric viewpoint here, for growth to occur, so hypertrophy, we need to have muscle protein synthesis. Sometimes I'll research, you'll see this abbreviated as MPS, has to be higher than muscle protein breakdown. Right? So the old analogy, if I'm going to create a brick wall, I need to put more bricks into the wall than the amount of bricks that are taken out. Right? Because remember, the stored form of protein, for all practical purposes, is muscle tissue. Now, we do have an amino acid pool in the body, but it's not really that significant. Right? So the body does need some amino acids to run. Granted, it doesn't use a ton of them and doesn't really use a lot of protein in most daily life for fuel, but there is always some oxidation or quote-unquote use of protein that's going on. So we have some form of muscle protein breakdown that's always occurring. So we want the muscle protein synthesis, so how much we are adding to be higher than the amount that we're breaking down. And if that is true, then we get muscle growth, or at a bare minimum, we are breaking even. So the two main things that will drive this function are going to be consuming of dietary protein, and then also exercise, especially weight training exercise. And if you look at how we can measure this, there's some fancy <coughs> lab equipment. If you would go up to, say, uh, Dr. Stu Phillips' lab up at McMaster, and there are a handful of other labs in the world that do this, like literally only a handful. There's not many labs that measure this. We can look at <coughs> acute effects of consuming some protein. And what we see is if you take in a large dose of protein, say 40 grams of a complete protein, we see the muscle protein synthesis goes dramatically up. Muscle protein breakdown may reduce a little bit and our muscle protein balance is now positive, right? So sometimes in old literature, you would hear of something called nitrogen balance studies because protein, what makes it unique is it has a nitrogen molecule. So they could look at these different ways to see if you were in what was considered a positive nitrogen balance, and that would be <clears throat> beneficial for muscle growth. Uh, now we can do kind of more fancier things by kind of tagging and labeling specific amino acids. And we see that when you consume a high dose of protein, that process goes up. So you are by a very tiny amount <clears throat> adding a little bit to your muscles. But that process doesn't stay on uh, infinitely at all. And it starts to cycle back down. And then you have another meal of high amount of protein. And that process goes back up again, and then it goes back down. So we see this kind of cyclic nature over time. And the main thing on a kind of day-by-day -day basis, if we look at a snapshot of what's pushing that up, so that's increasing the muscle protein balance, which is adding tiny amounts to the muscles to make them bigger and stronger. That's actually from feeding and consuming of protein. 
Now, resistance exercise, so lifting heavy stuff, also affects that scale, but it does it more in a chronic fashion. So if we look at a graph over about 24 to 48 hours, maybe even a little longer if people are new to the process of lifting, uh, very short, maybe only 24 hours in experienced weightlifters, what we see is that muscle protein balance, that whole scale gets lifted up a little bit for 24 to 48 hours. So you can think of exercise training as kind of pushing up that baseline chronically. And then the consumption of protein is adding these little spikes of an enhanced muscle protein balance on top of that. So both of them are very beneficial. They just operate on a little bit of a different time course. So resistance exercise training is pushing up that baseline for about 24 to maybe 48 hours and staying elevated. And then consumption of a high dose of protein is pushing it up much higher, but that's only staying active for a couple hours, maybe two, three, maybe four hours at the most. Another quick thing to talk about is just the protein quality. Now there's a whole bunch of different ways we can equate protein quality. Uh, I have an article I did for the NSCA Personal Trainer Quarterly this past uh, June that talks about this. But in short, anything that had eyeballs on it, sorry to offend any vegans, is going to be considered a whole and has all of the essential amino acids or it's referred to as a complete protein. So some examples would be uh, whey, different dairy forms, uh, fish, eggs, any type of meat, things of that nature. And again, like I said, some of the ones we can put in there like eggs are not really considered dairy, uh, but they do come from something that had eyeballs. Again, lean meats are also good. This can be any type of animal. Uh, soy and wheat are also sources of protein, but they're a little bit further down the scale. Now you can get into the weeds and get into some intricacies about consuming a high enough do dose of soy and wheat, but you're gonna need a much higher dose of it. So in general, although plant proteins are like all the rage and super popular now, they can be useful if you do a combination of different types of plant proteins. We wanna get all those essential amino acids. Uh, sometimes they, <clears throat> they will fortify the protein and add more essential amino acids to it, or another one called leucine, which we'll talk about coming up here real quick. Or you can do and double the dose, right? So in the study, Jordan Joy was the main researcher. If they took a 40 gram dose of a rice protein isolate, that it was equivalent on an acute scale to about a 20 gram dose of whey. So if you consume a high dose, again, you can get a similar effect. Now that gets hard when you're looking at real food. Uh, the amount of food quantity that you need to eat is gonna go up. But if it's a protein supplement, you can do that relatively easy. So if I have clients who are vegan, and especially if they are male, if they can use a plant-based protein supplement, it's relatively easy for them to get enough protein and to do their nutrition. If they are not willing to do that, it can be done, but it gets a lot trickier and there's a lot more details to pay attention to. So to see this acute <coughs> spike 
Sometimes this is called, uh, research will measure it. This is called a fractional synthetic rate or this muscle protein synthetic response. We're kind of using those a little bit interchangeably now. We won't split hairs about that. We need two things to happen. We need to have enough essential amino acids. So that's going to be a minimum from studies of around six grams. And then within that, we need about a minimum of a two gram dose of a leucine. Now, again, if you look at some of the animal data, it's maybe 1.5 to maybe 2.5 grams. What that does is it changes the concentration, or sometimes called a threshold effect, and allows this synthetic response to happen. So imagine that you're running an assembly line and you're gonna make a new muscle protein is the thing you're gonna make. Well, the first thing you need to do is turn on the darn assembly line, right? So leucine kinda does that. Turns on the muscle building assembly line and gets everything going. So once you've crossed <laughs> that amount of leucine, that assembly line is turned on. You can give it more leucine if you want, but that won't change the speed of the assembly line. Right? The speed's kind of fixed, and you're literally just playing with the on and off switch. So if I go home to my townhouse and I push up harder on the light switch to turn on the lights, the lights don't get any brighter if I'm just using a simple on and off switch. The next thing you're gonna need is some materials, right? So we need the raw materials in order to build new muscle proteins. And that's primarily from essential amino acids, right? They're essential because they have to be provided by the diet. The other thing we're gonna need, especially to run this process very effectively, is a caloric surplus. We're gonna need some form of energy to provide to our assembly line to keep it going. So we have the raw materials, the things we're gonna make into new muscle proteins, we have the assembly line running, which is primarily from the effect of the amino acid leucine, and then being in an energy surplus. So maybe in the future, we'll talk about how much of an energy surplus that you need. It's only been a handful of studies that have looked at that. Uh, myself with uh, Dr. Tommy Wood, Dr. Ben House, <clears throat> I'm actually going to Costa Rica right around the time that you will hear this. Uh, we're going to start a chronic study and experienced weightlifting uh, males initially, hopefully we'll do some more female studies in the future, uh, to see <clears throat> how much you need to overfeed them and what percentage of that becomes a lean body mass versus body fat. Uh, Dr. Brad Dieter, Dr. Eric Helms, and some other guys are actually doing data collection on a very similar study right now. Um, so if I were to speculate I would say maybe around 500 extra grams of calories per day. And again, that's a little bit of a guess and extrapolation of some studies. But we do know that if you're trying to maximize lean body mass gains, having enough protein and having enough energy surplus is going to be beneficial. Now, again, if you're completely untrained, yes, you can see some gains without really doing a whole lot. But once that goes away, you're going to need to be in an energy surplus. So myth number one for today, you can only use 30 grams of protein per meal. And as you can guess, that is a myth and that is not true. So if anyone's ever seen me present, the little joke I use is if you go out to have a very nice uh, T-bone steak dinner, 
I did this recently when I was presenting down in uh, Dallas a couple months ago. Uh, we all went out to the Capitol Grill that night and had lots of very tasty, large amounts of dead cow. As far as I know, no one the next morning had a T-bone shaped poo in their toilet, right? So all of that protein, you know, sometimes 40, 50, 60, <clears throat> 70, maybe 80 grams or even more was quote unquote used by the body, right? So unless you've got some really crazy disease, your body can break down that protein and will quote unquote use those amino acids. Now the confusion comes into, well, how much of a dose of protein will acutely maximize that muscle building effect or that muscle protein synthetic response? And that question would say, just like we mentioned, about two to three grams of leucine and about six grams of essential amino acids. So if you have something like a whey protein, and this is in young, healthy individuals, 20 grams of a whey protein acutely will maximize the muscle protein synthetic response. All right, so that's a pretty low dose. That's literally like one scoop of protein for most protein supplements. If you look at the studies, like I mentioned, you'll need about 40 grams of a rice protein supplement. There was a study done with a whey protein hydrosylate, and you would need about 60 grams of that, right? So again, our two markers are <clears throat> around two to three grams of leucine and six grams of essential amino acids. So it is true that if I have a large steak that has 80 grams of protein in it, I'm not necessarily getting a better acute response compared to a steak that has 40 grams of uh, protein in it. So it's kind of tops out, right? So human brains, we always want to think of something that's very linear, and this becomes very non-linear very fast. Um, otherwise, you would see people consuming just massive quantities of protein, <clears throat> and you would see them gaining more lean body mass. And that's not what we see. Right. Uh, how this was done, you can look up some very <clears throat> interesting studies by using, uh, I mentioned and talked about this before, a direct, quote unquote, uh, measure of muscle growth, right? So using a stable isotope tracer amino acids, Yorn uh, Tromlin uh, from Dr. Luke Van Loon's lab has done that. And the question that I've always wondered is, if you take in 20 grams of a whey protein, in English, like how many grams of protein, again, through a series of assumptions that may or may not be true, how much of that 20 gram dose actually becomes a new muscle tissue, or we'll say lean body mass in this case. So again, I know I'm using lean body mass and muscle tissue a little bit interchangeably here, so you can send me hate mail later, but it ends up being around just two grams Right? And that kind of makes sense with how much gains we would expect someone who's been training over the course of a year to maximize. Right? So that 20 gram dose, only about two grams of that really ends up in new muscle tissue. So it's pretty darn small. Right? So having these protein meals is very much a very small and acute additive effect over time. Uh, but it is true that we do, quote unquote, to use more than 30 grams of protein at one time. There's a little bit of truth in that myth that 
if we take in a massive dose of protein, that isn't necessarily going to provide us with twice the amount of muscle gain, assuming that we have enough leucine and essential amino acids. So that's today's protein myth number one. Stay tuned coming up for more protein myths and what to do. And again, at the end of this series, we'll tell you what is kind of the recommended total amount of protein you should get. And if you want more information, definitely check out the flexdiet.com. That's F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com. I've got a whole section there on protein where we go in-depth talking about protein, uh, what you need to know, how to break it down into action items for clients. <clears throat> We've also got some great interviews there from Dr. Joey Antonio and uh, Dr. Stu Phillips himself is in there with an interview also. Um, so if you're interested in that certification and getting on the mailing list for that, go to flexdiet.com.